hello everyone. So today I want to talk about the four new Jane Austen inspired movies that Hallmark has put out in the month of February, February 2024. And as I am recording this, the last movie, the fourth one, Sense and Sensibility, just came out today. And I just got to watch it, and that was the one I was most excited about. So I will get there. Um, but I want to talk sort of briefly about all four movies and what I liked and didn't like about all of them. They are all Jane Austen inspired. The first three are not actual adaptations. They are inspired by pieces um, that have some sort of tie-in to Jane Austen. And then the fourth one is an actual adaptation of Sense and Sensibility. And I will start with that I had very low expectations going into all of this, um, just because I have not watched a lot of Hallmark. The little I have seen, I haven't been a huge fan of. So I had not a lot of, like, solid opinions about what Hallmark would do with these sort, with these movies, with these adaptations, um... But I was pleasantly surprised. Overall, of the four movies, I think I had a generally good time with them all. And so I think that that is a good thing. I have a lot of fun. So I have a generally positive input um, and just kind of want to talk about all of it as a lot of new Jane Austen content came out from Hallmark this month. So, the first one that came out at the beginning of February is called Paging Mr. Darcy. This one is the one I was, I think, least um, excited about when I saw the ads for it. It seemed like it was going to be not great, but I was pleasantly surprised. I liked it more than I thought I was going to. Is it an amazing thing that you must watch and I would want to watch again and again? No, it is not a classic, but it was definitely worth a one-time watch and I enjoyed myself. So, Paging Mr. Darcy is a modern-day movie um, where set at a JASNA conference, so Jane Austen Society of North America conference. They were definitely, you know, kind of clowning on that. In the movie, they call it JALA. Jane Austen Lee Literary Association, I think. I don't remember for sure, but it was JALA. It, um, they didn't call it JASNA, so they had a different acronym. Um, but it was a Jane Austen conference, and our main character is a sort of Eleanor stand-in from Sense and Sensibility. And she is a Jane Austen scholar who is very, very serious about Jane Austen and her works and not into romance, and a very hard-edged person. Um, and she is going to a JAL, the JALA conference kind of against her will because she's trying to get a job at Princeton, and another professor who were, who's on the um, hiring committee at Princeton is hosting the conference. And so it's a pretty predictable story in that sense. She goes to the conference, um, she realizes that this other scholar is a very different kind of person to her, and really enjoys all of the fun stuff. She initially has sort of a stick-up-her-butt about it, and doesn't want anything to do with the conference, thinks it's all silly and stupid, and thinks that it should all just be very strict and scientific research about things. Um, and is sort of won over by the fun of the conference until by the end of the movie she's dressed up in Regency gear and going to the ball, which is cute. Um, also in the movie there is her sister who is sort of a Marianne stand-in, so um, our main character and her sister are sort of Eleanor and Marianne from Sense and Sensibility. Um, and I think they're, what is it, Eloise and Mia, I think? It's an E and an M. Uh, it's been like a month since I watched it. Ah! Um, but it's a very cute movie. Mar the Mia, Marianne stand-in, is over-the-top, dramatic, crazy, but she's got a cute storyline. She's kind of obnoxious, but I find Marianne obnoxious in Sense and Sensibility, so it kind of works. 
Um, our love interest in this movie is the, I guess, titular Mr. Darcy. He's not obviously called Mr. Darcy, but he's sort of the Mr. Darcy of the conference. He spends most of the movie dressed up in Regency gear. He's got a British accent. Um, he picks our main character up from the airport in Regency gear, and she is horrified by that. They get off to a bad start, um, but they end up sort of, I don't know, working together to impress his aunt, who is the woman hosting the conference and the one on the Princeton board. And by the end of the movie, she has won her position at Princeton and is going to get that job. And you know, dating the lady's nephew, basically. So everything ends up happily ever after. Interestingly, the big romantic um, wedding proposal is not for our main character, our Eloise. It is for Mia, who um, sort of breaks up with her boyfriend at the beginning of the movie because his proposal is not romantic enough. And then at the big ball at the end of the movie, he comes in and makes up for it with a big romantic proposal. And she says yes. And it's cute. Um, I thought that there were some great Jane Austen lines in there. Um, there's a lot of little kind of winks at people who go to Jasna conferences and have gone to like Jane Austen events like that. It was cute. It's worth watching. Um, some cringe moments. But nothing bad. I enjoyed myself. I Like I said, I think this is the one that I really thought might not even be watchable. Based on the trailer, I was not impressed. But the movie actually was better than the trailer led me to believe it might be. And I enjoyed myself. So that's um, Paging Mr. Darcy. I think it's worth a watch. I had a lot of fun with it. It's, you know, nothing deep. But it was good. It was cute. I gave it a thumbs up. The next movie on the docket is Love and Jane. This one is another modern day um, based on idea where the main character is a author and Jane Austen enthusiast who runs a sort of a Jane Austen book club. She also works in an advertising agency. And um, the basic premise of this is that she is getting life and love advice from, like, a ghost of Jane Austen. Um, this one is probably my least favorite of the four, if I was ranking them. It, again, still gets a thumbs up. It was worth watching. I didn't hate it. It wasn't something that I couldn't get through. But I probably would never watch it again. And it would be the last one that I would, um, I don't know send you to watch. I would probably watch all the other three first, and this would be the last. So I'm not saying that it was bad. I'm just saying that of the four, if we're ranking them, it was the least good. <laughs> um, so basically, this one starts out with her dating a guy for some reason. I'm not sure why he even exists, because he plays no point in this. He like So she's dating a dude who she doesn't really like, and she realizes she doesn't really like him and isn't really in love. And so he asks her to marry him and she says no and breaks up with him instead. And then he shows up one other time just kind of obnoxiously at her house to try and get back together with her. And she's really rude and weird about it. Especially if you've been dating somebody enough that they're like, at the beginning of the movie, he's saying he got a promotion. He's moving to another city. He wants her to marry him and move with him. And like, it seems like they've been dating for years they're serious enough that he thinks that, like, she might marry him. And she's very dismissive and rude about it. And I just, I don't understand. It's such a weird part of the plot. Like, why is he even there? Like, because she obviously has no emotional attachment to this dude. Why are you dating him? Like, it's just so weird. I don't understand that part of the plot at all. Um, And then the other thing is that she's running this book, John Austen Book Club, which is probably the best part of the movie are the scenes from the Jane Austen Book Club. I thought that those scenes are really cool, having people, you know, talk about what Jane Austen means to them and how they connect to different characters. 
love all of that. I would watch a whole like two hour movie of just the book club. People talking about Jane Austen like that. That was the best part. Um, so at the beginning of the movie, they are meeting at a pub. And then um, you find out that this sort of English pub is closing down because the owner is retiring and whoever's buying the pub is going to like revamp it into something else. Um, so she's looking for a new location. And it ends up being at a bookshop that has just been purchased by a sort of tech bro dude who is very wealthy um, and essentially I think has started an app like Instagram or Facebook or something and is very wealthy now with that app and now he's here buying a bookshop for some reason and she gets off to a bad foot with him because she runs into him and just as an employee of the bookshop he's sort of she considers it very rude to her because she's trying to buy a copy of Pride and Prejudice I think at least one of Jane Austen's novels um, and he tries to and he Get, takes it out of her hand and says that it was purchased online so she can't buy it even though it's physically there in the store and she get, they get in an argument about it. Um, and then she sees him again because he is now coming to the ad agency she works at and she he's going to be the client because for he's apparently hiring this ad agency for his new bookshop and they her boss is very gung-ho about it because she's hoping if they get the the um, bookshop Thing, then then he'll also be willing to like maybe hire them for his app which is a bigger deal so they're all it's this big deal job wise that they have to like do a good job for make get him to hire them for his ad campaign for his book his one of a kind bookstore which is also kind of odd like that you, he's gonna hold, have this big huge like ad campaign for a single bookstore but sure, why not? That's what's happening here. And they basically, that this dude is obviously her love interest for the movie. She sees him multiple times. They keep running into each other and at first hate each other. And eventually, of course, fall in love. And throughout, as she has things, Jane Austen, the ghost of Jane Austen, is sort of haunting her and showing up at different places and giving her a sort of odd advice, like one of the ongoing sort of jokes throughout the movie is that Jane Austen thinks that you know you need to marry a man who has cattle because that'll show you stability and you'll always have milk for the children and um by the end at the end of the movie her love interest tech dude is putting investing in some sort of eco livestock thing so she's like so that means you're gonna have cattle and he's like yeah and she's like oh that's amazing you're what perfect for me because Jane Austen told her to marry somebody with cattle Anyway, um, but so again, Jane Austen being there and having some input, it's a little fish out of water situation where Jane Austen doesn't really understand the modern world, which makes sense because she's been dead 200 years. Um, but she has some good lines. Again, there's some cute moments. The, mov the movie overall, though, doesn't really, didn't really hit for me because like I said, the book, the book club scenes, wonderful. The Jane Austen showing up as a ghost, wonderful. The actual love story of this main character, I could not care less about. I, I don't understand. Like, I don't see any chemistry but her, between her and the tech bro dude. I don't know why they ended up together. I don't understand why she had a boyfriend who she was dating for years and then just broke up with because he asked to marry her. The, that Her whole actual, like, the main plot of the movie makes no sense and I don't like. But there were individual scenes that were lots of fun. So there you go. That's what I think about that movie. It's, it is the least good of the four. But still, if you're a Jane Austen fan, it was good enough to watch once and see. But I would recommend you go through the other three first. And this is the, uh, least, this is the least of these. <laughs> And on to the third and last um, non-adaptation of this Jane Austen event at Hallmark. It's an American in Austen. So in this one, it's sort of, uh, they've made a Lost in Austen, I think it's called, is the 
I want to say it was a BBC miniseries. I saw it years ago where um, a woman, I think in that one, traded places with Lizzie Bennett and ended up in Pride and Prejudice and falling in love with Mr. Darcy and the whole thing. This version um, is, she, it's an American girl who is obsessed with Mr. Darcy and falls asleep and like wakes up in Pride and Prejudice, but she is not taking the place of one of the sisters. She is their cousin Harriet, who is now staying with them throughout the events of the early portion of the book, because everything kind of gets squished together. Um, this one, I would say, is my favorite of the three non-adaptations. So of the, of the three now that I've talked about, this is the best of those, I think. But it has some big flaws. Really, what I will say is that I, I enjoy almost everything about having a snarky American sitting in on scenes from Pride and Prejudice and, like, ruining things and saying ridiculous stuff. Um, that is all fabulous. Have a great time throughout that entire piece. But her overlying, overarching, like, character development storyline is stupid. <laughs> so our main character... Starts out, she's a librarian. She has the cutest boyfriend ever. He has this elaborate um, proposal scene he does with her. And it's very romantic and ridiculous and over the top. And I'm going to be honest, I hate public proposals. So I think it was super cringy and awful. But it was also really romantic and perfect if you're into that kind of thing. And she is. But she says maybe because she's so obsessed with Mr. Darcy that she can't say yes to this man who's right in front of her, which I just think is such a stupid cliche thing that doesn't make any sense. Like nobody thinks or acts that way, do they? Like that's just dumb. So yeah, so that's how it begins. And then she's like obsessing about Mr. Darcy. And so she ends up in Pride and Prejudice. She wakes up there. At first, she thinks it's some sort of prank event. And she can't get why ever, no one's ever, like, getting out of character or whatever. But eventually she realizes that, no, it's, this is actually here and I'm actually stuck here. And because she's there, things kind of go wrong. Where, like, Mr. Collins shows up and he proposes to Mary instead of Charlotte. Um, she's there and she convinces... Jane to go like confess her love to Bingley in London and it doesn't work out very well. Um, the biggest one and the first thing that really goes wrong is that Mr. Darcy falls in love with her for some reason instead of Lizzie and proposes to her at the Netherfield ball and she has to say no and that's when she gets her like character moment like oh I don't love Mr. Darcy I love my boyfriend at home again I whatever um, in the end, she stays with them, and Lizzie's the one who ends up running off with Mr. Wickham, and she and Darcy have to go and save her, and in doing so, that, like, bonds Lizzie and Darcy, and so they, by the end, when she goes home again, um, Bingley has come back to Netherfield and has proposed to Jane, as she should, Darcy and Elizabeth are together, Collins has broken up with Mary and all is right with the world. The story's back basically on track for where it should be. The only major difference being, of course, that Lydia never ran away with Wickham. So she's still at home and happy. And that's the last scene we see of the Bennets is they're having like a family party with all the sisters home and Darcy and Bingley there. And it's very sweet and cute. And now that she's kind of fixed Pride and Prejudice and herself, she wakes up back home um, and basically the same moment as when she left. And then she has to go confess her love to her boyfriend who she just said maybe when he proposed to her and say, yes, I'll marry you. And, you know, let's have it later after. Um, I get that in that description. <laughs> so the overarching, again, storyline of our main character is pointless and doesn't make any sense. And I don't even get why it's there. Like, it can go away. I don't, I don't need it at all. Um, but... The Pride and Prejudice story that goes on for most of the movie is super fun. So, 
I don't have any major, so I don't have any complaints with that. I had a great time with this movie. Super fun. Highly recommend. Um, again, I just kind of ignore the first minute and then the last minute of the movie, which is our main character in the real world. Um, that part, dumb. I don't, like, why? Not even important or care about. But, um... I thoroughly enjoyed watching an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice where things kind of go wrong and off the rails and we have a snarky, you know, Jane Austen fan having to try and fix everything. Well, at first, just snarking on everything that's going on around her and, like, saying things that are going to happen before they happen and knowing people she shouldn't know. Um, And then by the end, having to run around and, like, a crazy person trying to put the story back together again. Super cute. That part of the movie... 100% recommend. It was amazing. But the actual character development of our main character and her, like, storyline, meh, at best. Not great. But the movie as a whole, I'm going to give a thumbs up because the parts that were good were solid and I thoroughly enjoyed. And now. We have made it to the main event, the movie that ends the Jane Austen takeover of Hallmark for February. I think they're calling it Loveuary or something like that. Um, So they did four movies. The first three I've already talked about were the not actual adaptations, but sort of inspired by concept movies that just took some love of Jane Austen into the modern person or the modern world or whatever. The last one, the one I've been most excited for this whole time is an actual adaptation of Sense and Sensibility, Jane Austen's first published work. Well, yeah, first published. I was thinking um, Northanger Abbey was sold to a publisher first under a different name, but it was never actually published by that publisher, so she ended up buying it back, and it was a whole thing. Anyway, so her first published work that actually got out to the public was Sense and Sensibility, um, and so Hallmark has, had announced that this Sense and Sensibility was sort of the culmination of their Jane Austen month of content, and yeah, I'm very excited to see what they were managed to do there. So the first thing I found out about this adaptation is that it's from the, I think it's called the Mahogany Network part of of Hallmark. And so that means that it was, or the main cast is full of people of color, uh, playing many of the primary roles within the, the cast, including, of course, the Dashwood sisters um, and, their mo- and their mother. Um, and both Willoughby and Colonel Brandon are people of color. Um, a lot of Mrs. Jennings is. I'm not going to list off all. But there's a very diverse cast, let's say. Um, a very people of colorful cast for some for a Jane Austen adaptation. It is set in that time period. So they're in costume. They're in the 1800s with the social mores and things. Um similar in concept to the persuasion that was came out in Netflix not that long ago, which also had various people of color throughout the cast. Although not the main, um, not our main character, uh, Anne in that one was not, whereas Eleanor and Marianne are main characters here in Sense of Sensibility, both are people of color in this adaptation. So love that. Love that as a concept of, I saw a, um, interview of, some of the cast and the producers um, and one of the historians, oh, they were all black women giving this interview, which was really cool to see. Um, and they were talking about um, the, the actress who plays Eleanor specifically was talking about how when she first was looking at this role, she didn't think that she could have this role because people like her don't have that role and how, you know, she almost, turned it down initially because she couldn't see herself as being Eleanor and it took some more explanation of you know figuring out that Eleanor is this type of person and like how she's so like so many women who feel so constrained by so many 
aspects of their life and how she grew into her sort of feeling like she could be an Eleanor and how she was hopeful that her portrayal here could show other people who look like her, as she put it, um, that they could be an Eleanor. And I thought that was really cool. Um, they also um, had an interesting conversation with uh, the hairstylist who was in charge of this movie talking about how they were trying really hard to have hair that looked period appropriate and was done with period appropriate sort of tools like they didn't want to use heat products that were not available at the time to get the hairstyles um, but they also wanted them to be hairstyles that were appropriate for black hair right um, so most of the standard hairstyles that we would see in Regency England are not based on people of color right they're based on the white British people who were making these hairstyles originally popular. And I was have been very impressed watching this movie of in the hair. The hair is something I watch a lot, and it's one of those things that, like, the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, the hair is horrifying, and stand by that that is awful. The hair in that movie is just terrible. I mean, it is one of those things that I really notice in an adaptation. The hair often bothers me. Um their decisions that are made with the hair. And I will say that I, having seen that, um, having seen the interview first where they specifically talk about the hair, was really impressed by the hair. I thought they did a very good job with the hair. Um, I know nothing about black hair and how to do black hair, any of that. So, um, but I was very impressed with, according to this hairstylist who claims that this is what they did, um, that they were able to get hairstyles that really felt appropriate to someone who is watching Regency, who watches a lot of Regency content and does look at the hair a lot. Like the hair felt Regency to me. It felt appropriate based on all of the, you know, many other Regency things I have watched. Um, it did not feel out of place. And yet it, it also was apparently doing things that make sense for black hair. And there were, you know, there was a specifically Eleanor's hair in the ball at the party that they went to. It was a elaborate braided hairstyle um, that I did clock as being probably not Regency, but it looked beautiful and fit in. So even though they were using hairstyles that are more, I mean, inspired by black hair, they were still able to make it Regency. So it's like black hair, but make it Regency. And I love that they were able to do that. I was super impressed by the hair throughout that movie, throughout the movie. Um, and I was really impressed with what they were able to do with that. The other thing they said in this interview was that this movie was filmed in 15 days, which for a full length movie, I think is a very, very short amount of time. So I was also very impressed to hear that. Um, for the most part, I was pretty impressed with just the overall aesthetic of the movie. I thought most of the, there were a few costumes that stood out as not great, but for the most part, most of the costumes loved it. Um, one of the things that is probably not period accurate, but I loved was the color palette of the clothing. They did a lot of really bright colors, which I, saturated colors, which I love. Um, not what you usually see with all the white and pastels. <laughs> in the Regency, so, um, but I loved that. Um, they had bonnets. I love that they have bonnets everywhere. Another th pet peeve of mine um, that sometimes they try to do with Regency is get rid of the bonnets, and I hate that. I'm all for the bonnets. Give me the bonnets. And this movie has bonnets, so I love that. Um, the hair, like I said, fabulous. Love the hair. Um, the sets, when we're inside rooms, are beautiful. The only thing that really pulled me out of it was when they went to London. The outdoor scenes, so they they didn't film in England at all, I don't think. They said they filmed in Bulgaria or something. I'm not sure, but somewhere else. And when they're in the country, it completely works. I believe them. They're in these little country villages. Love it. Um, but the section of the movie where they go to London, they have one scene where they're outside um, Mrs. Jennings' like London townhome. And that was the one place where it's like, that's not London. I don't believe you that you're in London. Um, but I was very impressed that the rest of the movie, it felt like country estates. It felt like little, you know, country village. The interior looked great. 
it really was for me just that one scene where you're supposed to believe I'm in like in a city in London and it was very clear that it was a standalone like country home it was not a London home and that's how I felt anyway so that was the one place where I was a little like I don't know that I believe you but the rest of it highly impressed me if I'm honest the biggest complaint I had about watching this movie is that I was watching it on uh I don't know, a service that had the most ridiculous amount of ads I've ever seen in my life. Um, And huge long amounts of them, and I... Yeah, it's ridiculous, the amount of ads. Just sheer amount of time. I think I spent as much time watching the ads as watching the movie. It was crazy. Do not recommend. But I'm going to move on from that, because that has nothing to actually do with the movie. So, the plot itself, I think, stayed relatively true to the book. Um, they did a, I thought the casting of both Eleanor and Marianne was really good. Um, and they actually cast Meg. They had the little sister. Um, they had their mom. They had the scene with their dad. They did an interesting casting of the brother. I think more sympathetically than I have seen him cast in other adaptations where um, this one, it's it's true in the book and in most adaptations that you see that Fanny Dashwood, his wife, is the, the horrible one, I suppose, who is definitely worse than her husband, but you don't see him caring much either. He's pretty um, not caring of his sisters and his, the rest of his family. Um, so this version, I think, tries to humanize him more so that, yes, he is doing the dictates of his wife, but it's that he, but he's actually caring and, like, tries to make it up to Marianne in some ways. So I think there's something a little different about that, which is kind of interesting that he has this a nicer heart than what I'm used to. Um, other changes that I really noticed is that when Colonel Brandon is telling his story about Eliza and that whole situation, um, Eliza was not married to her, his brother, the way he, he is in the book, the regular story. Um, she is just simply completely cast out of the family, which puts us, which I guess simplifies the story, but it makes it, I don't know, make less sense to me. Like, there's not a reason that she's cast out. She's just kind of cast out in general. And they don't talk about the fact that she had a lot of money and all that situation. So they kind of just dumb that whole situation down a bit. Um, and then the offer that Colonel Brandon makes to save Edward is that he can have a home at Norland, or not Norland, that's where they're from, at, um, at Delaford his estate, Colonel Brandon's estate. Um, but they don't mention like the job part. So right in the book and most adaptations, Edward is getting a job as a clergyman as like, um, so he's offering him a position. And in this one, no, he's just offering him like a place to stay, I guess. Like you can come live with me, which again, I, I don't really understand. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, it's basically he's offering, hey, come hang out with me now that your family's kicking you out. I mean, that's nice, but it's just not, I don't know. Again, I, they were trying to simplify it, and I think it made it make less sense. Um, the other thing, another change, is that when they're returning home to London, instead of going to Mrs. Jennings' daughter's estate in Sutherland, I think, um, they go back to Norland Park where they are from. And that's where I say they're kind of humanizing the brother. Cause he like offers them offers and says, why don't you stay at Norland Park on your way home? And that is very, and he like kind of has his heart to heart with Eleanor. So that's that change. I think in him where you see that kind of nicer, more human aspect to John. Um, and so then they go back to Norland Park and that is where Marianne gets sick. She has her illness and her stay there at Norland Park. 
Um, and then mom and they go get the mom and Meg come racing back. So that's another change that Meg comes because before she gets left back, um, at the cottage. And so then you see her make those, you know, start to notice that Colonel Brandon, she has this interesting thing that she says in the carriage where she's noticing that Colonel Brandon is actually the most romantic man she's ever met, which is fun. Then they do the end of the show, or the end of the movie, and there's some, I think, significant changes there, where they move up Colonel Brandon and Marianne getting together, where it's usually sort of an afterthought at the very, very end. Um, we see them start, I don't know, being, like, we see Marianne change her mind on that ride back to the cottage, and then... They get engaged basically immediately. They start flirting and be like, ooh, yeah, okay. They're together now. Um, and then they say, she talks about how she's going to, how Colonel Brandon is going to come and get approval for their wedding. And then Edward shows up when they did the scene that they always do where the servant tells them that Mr. and Mrs. Ferris, he met them in the city. Um, and they think that it's Edward and Lucy, but it turns out it's actually Robert and Lucy who got married, not Edward. And so Edward shows up and they have that a big emotional scene where he and uh, Eleanor get become engaged. Um, very similar to the, um, movie version, the nineties movie, which is the classic sense and sensibility. They do that scene very similarly, I think. Except for the peanut gallery is more available, meaning Marianne and Meg and the mom are all like watching and having a great time watching this go down. And um, then we cut to the end, which is Eleanor and Edward getting married, which is very sweet. But what I notice is that in this version, Marianne and Colonel Brandon obviously get married first because they are sitting there in the um, pews together. Which doesn't mean that they're for sure married, but then next to them is a servant holding a baby. So the assumption I'm making is that Marianne and Colonel Brandon have been married long enough to already have like a baby that's not a little newborn um, before Edward and Eleanor get married, which is super weird because they both got engaged on the same day in this version. And yet Eleanor and Edward wait an extra year to get married. I don't know. It just seems very strange to me. Um, again, class sense wise, Eleanor should get married first. She's the older sister. And if you got two sisters like that got engaged on the same day, there's no way the younger sister gets married a year before. Like very, very strange that I don't understand what that, why that choice was made. Cause it could so easily, if you just didn't have the servant with the baby, like then it would be fine and you wouldn't have that implication that there's such a long engagement, like difference between the two sisters. Um, if you just had Marianne standing next to Colonel Brandon, that would have been fine. No issue. Why do you have the servant and the baby? Like, I, I just, I don't understand why that choice was made. It's such a silly choice that makes no sense. Yeah. But... So those those are my nitpicks of changes. But like I said, the hair, fabulous. The bonnets, fabulous. Most of the clothes, fabulous. Most of the actors, fabulous. I love the Dashwood sisters, all three of them, including the cute little Meg. It's very sweet. Um, Mar the actress who plays Marianne specifically, love her. I thought she was pretty much perfect, practically perfect, like Mary Poppins, in the role um, like I said, I find Marianne obnoxious in general, and this Marianne grated on me less than other Mariannes have, but I think still had the energy that a Marianne is supposed to have, which I really enjoyed. I think she was fabulous. I think, yeah, Marianne's probably my favorite in this one. Not to say the others weren't good, because all the actors I thought were really great, but I really loved this Marianne. Um, Yeah. I think that they did a really good job with this adaptation. There were some things that I noticed plot-wise that they did to kind of speed it along. 
but they're very similar to what other adaptations have done. Um, other than the things that I've already mentioned that I brought up, I didn't notice anything glaring or problematic about the changes that were made. I think they did try to emphasize the romance a little bit more than is in the actual novel, which I think all the adaptations do. Um, they take away some of the class stuff, some of the other pieces of it, and emphasize the romance. Specifically, you this is again the same thing they did in the 90s, Sense and Sensibility. They really give you more of that Edward and Eleanor romance getting together at the beginning of the movie so that you can kind of understand the pining throughout, whereas in the book I feel like you mostly just get like, just accept these two are in love, okay, moving on. We're not actually going to talk about how that happened. Um, so it makes sense to me that they made that change. Oh, the one thing I did not talk about. Um, Lucy in this version. I actually will say, I think, I think Anne, her sister, perfect pick, was, was a great Anne. Um, but Lucy, I didn't love. I felt like she was a little too obvious. It was too obvious that she's a villain and evil. Whereas I feel like Lucy is supposed to come off as artful. Like, good at this. Like, she's supposed to come off as, like, deceitful but good at being deceitful. And this Lucy came off as just too obviously over-the-top mean. I don't know. I just, there was something just a little bit off for me in the Lucy portrayal. I thought her, like, again, Anne, her sister, was perfect just ridiculous over the top as she's supposed to be um the fanny dashwood in this one also her like superiority and like snootiness very well done and perfect i really thought fanny did a good job i mean i hate her because she's fanny but she, the actress did a great job at getting me to hate her um yeah so, yeah, the the only portrayal that I really felt a little off about, in my opinion, is was what they did with Lucy, which is, again, I don't think anything against the actress herself as maybe just the direction or the way they had it go, because I just I felt like Lucy was a little too obvious. You're so I mean, you're supposed to not like Lucy. Lucy's not a good person, but she's not supposed to be so obviously like evil. And I don't think so. I found that to be a little off. But overall, I thought it was a really good adaptation. Definitely worth watching. Um, one that I would watch again if I could find a way to watch it without all of the crazy commercials. Because, oh my god, that was ridiculous. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's definitely by far the best movie out of these four that I'm talking about. It was, as expected, the primary event here. It was super well done. Love it so much. Highly recommend. Is it the best adaptation of Sense and Sensibility? Probably not. But that is also not fair because my favorite adaptations are always the miniseries. <laughs> Let us be honest. I like every little detail from the book and that's just not going to end up in a two-hour movie. That's never going to happen. Um, so it's not quite a fair competition and I try to remind myself of that. Um, because they definitely had to cut things. They couldn't keep every aspect. They cut, um, well, Lady Middleton always gets cut. Poor Lady Mid Middleton always dies. Um, John Middleton's kids are always gone. This time they, and they often get rid of Mrs. Jennings' daughters. So in this one, Mrs. Jennings' kids are also gone. Um, well, Mrs. Jennings, Lady Middleton is Mrs. Jennings' daughter, but her other daughter who is where they, and um, her other daughter and her husband, who are great comic relief. I am sad that those two got cut, but I, again, I kind of get it for time. And that's why they went to Norland Park, because the daughter's estate they couldn't go to, where they stopped before, or the, where they stop in the book. So it gives them another place to stop instead. Ooh, the other thing that came up was the music cues. I enjoyed some of the music cues. I noticed they were playing the minuet by um, Mozart. Uh, I think Meg is playing it at the very beginning when they get to the cottage, which is cute. I like that song. And then I, at the ball, I think it is, they're playing the Vivaldi for four violins, 
which is one of my favorites. I love that song. So I thought that was really fun that that was there. But I thought it was weird that they had that there as like a dance in the ball. Like, I don't think that that's one of the songs they dance to. Maybe I'm completely wrong. It's not one of the ones they normally seem to dance to. So it was interesting as a concept. But I like those. I liked that music. Um, I think most of the music cues were really nice. There was, I think, a more modern piece that was done kind of Bridgerton style in the with violins and stuff. I thought the music was good. Most of the costumes were great. Um, like I already said, I loved the hair throughout. I think they did a really good job that way. Um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed. Highly recommend. So of the four, we're going to put them in order now. I think you probably can already tell, but Sense and Sensibility is the premiere of these four movies. Definitely the best one. Um, my second favorite would be An American in Austin then Paging Mr. Darcy, and then Love and Jane. Um, so that is definitely my ranking of these movies. But I want to be very clear that Sense and Sensibility is far and away better than the uh, three original based, or, you know. The three original movies that were had like some tie-in to Jane Austen were fun, but they have nothing to compare with an actual adaptation of a Jane Austen novel. That is not a fair comparison competition so it's not fair but still want to make it very clear that Jane that the sense and sensibility adaptation is on a whole other level love it it's amazing highly recommend yeah that's all I've got I just wanted to talk a little bit about all these movies because I have been enjoying getting so much kind of fresh Jane Austen content and I've got to talk about any new adaptation I get to see and this Sense and Sensibility one is definitely good and so much better than the Netflix Persuasion that's actually something I would like to say now before I, I thought I was done but now so I think that the Pride or not Pride and Prejudice ugh, the Persuasion on Netflix the 2022 I think it was from um the Dakota Johnson one had such a bigger budget and you know I think was a much bigger blockbustery kind of movie um, I don't know that for sure. I'm just guessing. But it was so much worse. And I'm also comparing it because they did colorblind casting in that, or not completely color, color conscious, whatever. They had a multiracial cast, um, which this one also does. And I admit to not, to being sad that I hated that persuasion so much because it was a good multiracial cast and I wanted to love it. But I didn't because I didn't think they did a good job with it. And then compare it to this one where it again has a lot of people of color. But it's such a good adaptation. They did a good job. So I'm happy about that. That Now I can point to one. There's actually an adaptation that is not all white people that I can point to and saying, See that one they did a good job with though. So it's not just. It's not that that I didn't like about the persuasion. Um, but of modern adaptations of the ones that have come out recently, I'm thinking of the 2020 Emma, the 2022 Persuasion, and now the 2024 Sense and Sensibility. Um, Emma's probably the best of those. <laughs> I really love the 2020 Emma. Um, but this Sense and Sensibility is also very strong. And it might also be an unfair competition because I like the story Emma. I like the book Emma better than I like the book Sense and Sensibility. Um, so that might be coloring my um, my feelings on that. But I thought this was a solid adaptation. I am very impressed that Hallmark was able to pull this off. Like I said, there are some moments where it feels a little not quite right. Mostly the whole outdoors in London thing still doesn't get it for me. But otherwise, I was very, very impressed and... I hope you guys watch it and enjoy it. And I think it's a solid adaptation. I There are definitely worse adaptations that I have seen of Jane Austen novels. Including that Persuasion. Including that Mansfield Park that has... Uh, what's her name? The one from Billy Piper in it. The, the Mansfield Park with Billy Piper. That's horrifying. Um... Yeah, there are worse adaptations. Um, definitely. And so this goes in the ranking. I love it. 
I think it's great. I would definitely watch again. I'm just rambling at this point because I had a good time. And I hope you loved it. So let me know what you think. Did you get to see The Sense and Sensibility? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I've seen a couple reviews calling it woke leftist propaganda crap. And I think that's stupid. Like they didn't change the story. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's woke because there's black people in it. I, I, I don't understand. Um, but that's fine. I don't need to understand. I thought it was great. I hope you all loved it. Talk to you soon. Bye. One last thing. Change my mind. Um, I need to ramble some more. That I just wanted to say that overall, this whole Love You Airy from Hallmark, I was super impressed that they did, like, with their Jane Austen content. I, like I said, came in with super low expectations, was thinking some of the movies not might not even be watchable, and I was pretty happy with what I got out of this. I am really impressed with what Hallmark was able to pull off, and based on this sense and sensibility, I would not be against them doing you know, all six. I want, I want all the adaptations that they will give me. So give me more Jane Austen adaptations. If you can hold up to this kind of standard, I think it'd be great. Love to see it. I hope they do it. And Mahogany is the one who did this. Um, I'd love to see that from them too. I was really impressed with this. I would love to see if they could do more. I will watch whatever other adaptations they come out with for that. So I'm hoping for more. I always love this and I want more adaptations especially when they're good. So yeah, there we are. I had a great time and I enjoyed myself and I'm kind of on a high of getting to watch a brand new Jane Austen adaptation that always makes me happy. So yay. Okay. Now for reals, I'll say goodbye. Bye-bye.